when I informed people that I was going to be starting a podcast, lots of people were really excited and were telling me how I should do it. Now, I'm a planner, and I don't think that I know everything, so I was more than willing to listen to everybody's ideas because, obviously, if they had started a podcast, they knew more than I did. Trial and error that I don't have to do is great. So I listened, and I took it in, and I decided to set up my format the way that I thought it might work the best, and I went to go record my first episode, and it tanked. It tanked horribly. It was so boring that even my daughter, who thinks I'm at least semi-entertaining at times, wanted to run out of the room. So we decided to wait on it. Now, last night I was watching an outtake of Robin Williams doing an interview with Johnny Carson. And Johnny Carson was rolling. He was falling out of his chair. He was laughing so hard. This was back in the 80s when Robin Williams was a new phenomenon and people didn't know just how talented he was and how manic and how crazy and how bouncing off the wall and how much he did off the cuff. And Johnny Carson is sitting there laughing hysterically and towards the end he turns to Robin Williams and he says, you are an incredibly talented young man. And Robin Williams just got all, oh my gosh, I can't believe Johnny Carson said that to me. And I looked at it and I thought, why? Why in the world was Johnny Carson gushing over Robin Williams? Because he was himself. That's what it takes to do something that people want to watch. So, I am different. I have always been different. And I will always be different. So trying to do a podcast like anybody else is going to do it just turns out to be a poorly copied everybody else's podcast. So I decided that the best way to do this is to just be me, as I am different. So you get me. Here we go. Now this answers the first question. Why should you watch this podcast instead of or alongside of all the others that you are watching? Why in the world should this one become part of your repertoire? I will say because I know what I'm talking about and I'm slightly entertaining, but more important than that, I'm real. I am very real. I say it like it is. I'm not afraid to say it like it is. I'm not afraid to look at hard issues. I'm not afraid to look at soft, easy issues. I will tell you what you need to hear. And that goes with part of my success as being a mental health therapist for over 30 years is that I'm not afraid to dig in and deal with what needs to be dealt with and talk about what needs to be talked about. So what makes me different in the mental health field? Well, there are three things I consider. One is my training. I have amazing training. I do not believe that I am the end-all be-all of therapists because I was trained by people who I thought were fantastic at what they did. Now, I do believe and have been told by many people that I am on the high end. You can consider that egotistical or arrogant if you want. 
I just know it's the truth. So what about my training is different from other people's trainings? Well, when I decided to get into therapy, I decided that I was going to take every single experience that was given me, and I was going to learn everything that I possibly could. And I was going to take all of that, and I was going to apply it in the best possible way that I could apply it. So I started getting my bachelor's degree in Oklahoma at a small school in Weatherford. (laughs) Yes, so now you know I really did go to Oklahoma. Everyone said, where are you going, OSU or OU? No, I went to Swasu, Southwestern Oklahoma State University, and there's their plug. So I had a professor who was very knowledgeable and very good in music therapy, which is what I got my bachelor's degree in. His wife was also really good with this stuff. Now, she ran a facility that helped five- and six-year-old kids in our day back, you know, when the dinosaurs were roaming the face of the earth. And yes, I am older than I look. Uh, We weren't allowed to diagnose anybody until they were 18 because they didn't want it following them around on their record. So anybody who had an issue before the age of 18, we just had to call emotionally disturbed. So they were emotionally disturbed, five and six-year-old kids. My supervisor, she used a lot of play therapy and art therapy. I had no idea what those were. So I walked in and I'm working with her and she said, go out and do play therapy. And I said, what is it? And she said, you just go and you sit down with the kids and you start talking to them, asking them questions about what they're playing and why they're choosing what they're choosing. So I did. I picked a little boy who was sitting by himself in the corner of the room playing with some dolls in a kind of castle dollhouse. And I just sat down and I just started asking him questions about why he was playing what he was playing. And he started talking back. And so when he'd say something back, I would respond with another question and I would just kind of interact with him. Now, after I went to go do my follow-up with my supervisor, and she asked me uh, what this little boy had said, and I proceeded to tell her this really lengthy, very detailed story about knights and castles and treasure boxes that were locked and couldn't get opened, and she just, her eyes started getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and she looked at me and she said, that kid has not spoken to anybody since he started coming here. How did he open up to you? I don't know. A lot of my clients call it Mandy magic, but I don't know. Because here's the thing. I don't see me as anything but me. So when I'm sitting there and I'm talking to you and you go, whoa, how'd you know that? I don't know. You told me. No, I did not. Yeah, you did in the way that I know you told me. So I guess it is a little bit of Manny magic. And I do tend to have what people call my superpowers. Uh, One of my superpowers that my girls love and call it my main superpower is you don't have to be in the room for me for me to know what's wrong with you. In fact, I don't even have to have met you before. All I need is for somebody else to tell me about you. And I can tell what you are thinking and feeling and what your issues are. I know. 
That doesn't sound like something I should be able to do, but I can, part of why I'm different. Which gets to the second thing of why I am different, my talents. I am really good at reading people. Now, I know you hear that from every other therapist in the world because we're trained to read people, except we aren't trained to read people. And we aren't trained to hear what somebody is actually trying to say. What we're actually trained to do is to just be a blank sheet of paper that bounces back what you said. We're parrots. And I think that's lame, but we'll get more onto that later. So if somebody comes in and says, Mandy, I'm having a really rough time, my textbook response is supposed to be, so I understand that you're having a really rough time. And then you respond with, yes, I am having a really rough time. And and I say, well, I am very sorry that you're having a really rough time. Why do you think you're having a really rough time? Does this get you anywhere? All it does is frustrate me. So why wouldn't you be frustrated too? In fact, I was having to do a practice session with my brother once for a grade, and he wanted to kill me because all I kept doing was saying, so this sounds to me like you feel like this. Ah, kill me now. The thing about when you walk into my office is I already know how you feel, and so do you. And if you could figure it out, you wouldn't be walking into my office. So why am I asking you what you think the problem is? That's just like asking when you go into the doctor's office and he says, so why are you here? And you say, well, I haven't been feeling very good. And he says, well, tell me what your diagnosis is. How do you know? If you knew, you'd diagnose yourself, fix yourself, and move on. You wouldn't need the doctor. So why in the world do we think that that's how you should act with a therapist? I don't need to know things about you, and me parroting back what you just said to me doesn't help either one of us, makes both of us want to kill me. So, one of the talents is that I know what you're actually saying, what your issues really are. I can see past the bull better than anybody I've ever met. Now, that doesn't mean I'm the only person that can do that. It just means I've never met anybody who can do it as good as I can. And if you want to dispute that fact, I can line up 50 clients who will agree with me because they've tried to give me the bull. And I just look at them and say, who do you think you're talking to? In fact... Here's a fun story. I had this cute little 12-year-old boy who he and I had worked together for a few years, and he was doing a lot better, so he wasn't needing to see me for a continuous amount of time. Uh, We were taking breaks until he needed me. Well, his dad texted me and said, hey, he's not dealing with stuff. Will you please reach out and find out what's going on? So I did. I texted and I said, so what's going on? And he comes back and he says, oh, well, it's just that I don't think my friends are being very nice and school's kind of hard. And I just stopped him and over text, I said, who are you talking to? That is not what is going on at all. Why are you feeding me a bunch of bull and wasting my time and yours? Just tell me what's going on. And he came back with, you're right. In fact, the phrase I hear the very most in my office is, dang it, Mandy, 
because my clients claim I'm always right. (laughs) Or maybe it's just I listen really well and I know what the real issues really are and I know how to help you with them. Oh my goodness, it's like magic. Or it's how therapy really should be. Which brings me to... The third thing that makes me really good at what I do, and it is my experiences. I have done this for a very long time, and I do not come from a Pollyanna Sunshine background. I have a lot of abuse and trauma and struggle that I had to overcome, and I didn't have a Mandy to help me do it. I had to figure it out on my own. My clients will often, when I'll tell a story, look at me and say, how in the heck did you get through that? And I say, I got myself through that, and you're welcome, because I take my experience and I help you. So if I have something that can benefit you in any way, I will use it. I'm not afraid of it. Like I said, I don't feel like I know everything, and I don't feel like I am the end-all be-all. Now, I will tell you when I can do something, and when I can do it, I'm serious. I can do it. But if I can't, I'll be just as upfront and frank about it. People come and say, can you do this? I'm like, nope, I just can't. But I could tell you somebody who can. But if they come to me and say, can you do this? And I can, then it's all day long. Absolutely. I can help you with this. I can do this. Now, people don't expect me to be that upfront and honest. They don't expect me to deal in such truth. We'll get into that later on in the podcast because that is all I deal in is truth. And even if the truth doesn't shine a fabulous light on me or my light, and my life. I don't care. I will use whatever I need to, to help my clients become the healthiest people that they can be. How do experiences help clients become healthy? First of all, it takes down their defenses because you're not just sitting there telling them that they're doing something wrong. Second of all, it lets them see that I overcame really difficult situations. If I overcame really difficult situations, then they can overcome theirs. A lot of times I will look at a client and I will tell them, look, I have been through this on this level over here. And look at where I am now. Do I show up like that? And they will tell me, no, you don't show up like that at all. Okay. Because I have learned how to manage it, move forward, process it, deal with it, and overcome it in ways that I need to. The abuse that I have had is quite extreme. I didn't realize that until I got older. And a lot of times that's why people get into being a therapist is because a therapist helps them get healthy. That it did not happen to me. My parents actually didn't believe in therapy, even after I became a therapist. So it turned out that I just looked at my experiences and said, my word, I've got a lot of experiences. And these can't all be just for me. They have got to be for somebody else. Or I'm being tortured for no reason. Because I've learned my lesson. So why the heck do I need to learn more of the same lesson? So I use my experiences. Now, in the therapy world, we have what we call schools of thought or modalities of 
behavior. What these are is basically how we choose to practice. You have the cognitive behavioral therapy. Everybody's heard of CBT. Uh, nowadays, that goes along with DBT, which is dialectic behavior therapy. You also have evidence-based therapy. You have lots of people who know about EMDR. Do you practice EMDR? I will only go to somebody who practices EO, EMDR. Or neurobiofeedback. Or rational emotive therapy. Oh, I could go on and list and list and list and list. I have actually had several clients who have come in and said, unless you practice from the book, CBT, you cannot help me. And I'm like, well, first of all, how do you know? And second of all, no one program fits everybody. It's impossible, especially when we're dealing with something as complicated as the mind and the soul of individuals. So I will take from everything. Now, you'll hear a lot of therapists say the same thing. You ask them, what do you practice? Well, I'm eclectic, is what lots of people like to say. And when we're interviewing for jobs, the person interviewing will usually say, okay, I get that, but there has to be one form that you use above the others. And we all claim CBT because everybody loves that one. It shows results and it's got concrete programs with it. You know, you have to give homework. And, and so it isn't as abstract as like, the rational emotive therapy where you do a lot more parroting than with the CBT. The problem with this is that if I get caught up in one construct and your issue requires 10 different constructs, then how am I helping you? I'm not. I have had clients over time sit in my chair and they have said, I had a therapist tell me this. I'm like, okay, well, on behalf of all therapists, let me apologize because that's not right and it doesn't work with you. I've had people ask me, do you do EMDR? And I tell them, I don't. And they, but EMDR is the cure-all for post-traumatic stress disorder. No, it isn't. In fact, sometimes it can cause PTSD to get worse, not better, if you don't know how to use it or if you're using it on the wrong PTSD. So if you're not willing to change and switch things up just because um, it's not working and but your client is insistent that they know what is the best for them, then you really aren't going to be able to get anywhere and help anybody. And so this gets into why I have chosen common sense therapy. This is what I call my brand of therapy because it takes from my experiences and it helps my clients see how their experiences can work for their good, what they can learn from them, how they can process them. It also, and I'm going to have to do this, I, we will be talking about a book that I wrote. I, it's copyrighted and the methods in there are my methods and they are copyrighted for me. 
The thing is, I will let you use them all day long. You just don't get to claim that you came up with them because you didn't. I did. And the reason I know I did is because I spent years watching things not work and I couldn't stand it. And so I looked at my experiences. I looked at how I got through things without a Mandy. And I looked at how I could come up with methods to implement to help other people be able to get through it. So the result of that is no textbook version of therapy, just the Mandy Bachman common sense way. But it works, which comes down to two things that I'm going to tell you about how I know it works. One is that I have been doing this job for about 30 years, and I have worked with, like I said, every population you can think of. I've also worked in about every facility that you can think of. I've worked in the drug treatment facilities. I've worked in the psych hospitals. I've worked in schools. I've worked at special education arenas. I've worked everywhere you can think of. I've worked there. And I have never had to market myself. I go off of referrals. Now that wasn't planned. I was perfectly prepared to start marketing myself because isn't that what we need to do? But I had people and they would refer me to their friends and their friends would be skeptical, but then they'd watch how their friends would be better and it would stick it would stay. They were changing. They were becoming actually healthy people. And they wanted to know how that could happen. And so they would come and then they would refer their friends and then they would refer their friends. I have the referral system. I have several clients who have said over the years, everybody needs Mandy. Everybody needs Mandy. That was one of the things when I told these people that I was going to do a podcast, they were very excited because they're like, everybody needs Mandy. So apparently you guys all need me. Isn't that nice for me? I feel so special. (laughs) I won't let it go to my head. I won't get all arrogant over it. Okay, just for you. So the other thing about it is that in the, I live in the suicide belt. Everybody knows this is the suicide belt. When I was applying for my master's degree, they asked me where I was living, and I told them. And they had all been talking about how bad suicide is in this region and what could be done about it. Uh, we have, we're in the top 5% of suicides for every age group there is. And that's not good. Um, And I have always wanted to research that and do stuff about that because obviously I don't think suicide is a good way out. Um, Now, in the 30 plus years that I have worked in this field, you would imagine that I would have suicides under my belt because I challenge you to find any therapist who works with crisis-related and heavy-duty mental illness-related issues where they don't have one suicide. In fact, I was talking to a counselor friend of mine before, and she had a coworker who had two within two weeks. It about did her in. So it's a given in my profession, especially with the populations and locations that I work in. So in the 30-plus years, 
I'll give you two seconds to make your guess. Write it down. Think up the number. If you come up with the right number, you get a prize. I don't have any suicides under my belt. I don't have one client who has been under my care who has ever committed suicide. That's not a thing in my world. You can ask anybody, especially with the people that I have worked with, because I have worked with actively suicidal people. I have had to stop active suicide attempts. I have had to hospitalize hospitalize people, and I don't have one successful attempt under my belt. That has to say that I know a little bit about what I'm talking about, doesn't it? So why common sense therapy? Because the therapy world is messed up. They are more concerned with looking like they're doing anything productive and looking like they're politically correct and looking like they are okay with all of the issues of the world and looking like they're making progress rather than actually making progress. They don't want to say the hard things. They don't want to do the hard things. They don't want to be available to their clients 24-7. And yeah, that's hard. It is. Not everybody can do that. But if you're going to work in this arena, in this population, in this area, you need to be there when the crises happen. You can't just nine to five it and expect people to be okay. I have this client. um, She was out of state. And I, so we were doing telehealth and she had a really bad weekend with her mom and, and she was telling a friend later on in during the week, how she got through it. And her friend's like, how in the world did your therapist help you through it? And she said, well, I texted her and she's like, how do you do that? Well, she told me to, yes, I do. I tell you to. I was a Thanksgiving evening. It was after our Thanksgiving dinner and I got a call that one of my clients wanted to try and kill herself. And I got in the car and I drove to her house and I put a stop to it because I do not want people to be unhealthy. I want them to be healthy. Now, I'm not saying that every therapist has to be as invested as I am, but I am saying that the system that they have in place right now is not helping and it's not working. And those of us who are trying to do it differently are really tired of trying to clean up the mess that these parroters are giving, where they're walking in and saying, as long as you feel good, that's all I care about. In fact, when I have clients walk into my office, I tell them, I do not care if you walk out of here feeling good. That is not my goal. And I do not care if you like me. That's not my goal either. And I do not need you to trust me for me to be able to do my job and to do it well. In fact, that's not even a priority to me. My priority is to get you healthy. And I don't care about the other stuff. Now, I do have people who... They can't, (laughs) they they call it their Mandy patch or their Mandy fix, where talking to me brings clarity and they do walk out feeling better, but that's just because I'm helping them see their life in a new way. It isn't because I'm just trying to help them feel better. So the way that I do it actually works. It sticks and it makes a difference. 
And I think that that needs to be how we keep going and how we start reconfiguring the mental health world. This soundboard, how are you feeling, please trust me, garbage is not getting us anywhere. If it was, then when the pandemic hit, we wouldn't have had an increase in suicides by a thousand percent, an increase of child abuse by a thousand percent, and an increase of domestic violence by a thousand percent. We would have had healthy individuals who would have been able to get through being quarantined and removed from loved ones and removed from activities of life. It would have been hard. It would have been really hard still. I didn't enjoy it, and my kids didn't enjoy it. But I have every single member of my family who deals with depression on one level or another, and not one of them killed themselves. And not, not one of my clients killed themselves. So it can be done. We just need to do it in a common sense, different way. So what's the point of doing it different and having all of this common sense? What does it matter? What does it matter if some client comes in feeling all sad and then walks out feeling happy for two seconds? How is that a bad thing? Well, the bad thing is because there is no solid base. There's no stick to itness. There isn't any kind of resolve to stay in the healthy frame of reference. So again, people will tell me, I mean, I had a client, she was in college and her therapist... <laughs> therapist. I say that term very loosely. I don't think he was a therapist and I don't think he should have been working where he was working. However, she called it him her therapist. So that's the term I'll use. Her therapist would meet with her after their sessions and they would jam on the guitar together and he would just compliment her up one side and down the other. Oh, you're so fabulous and you're so talented and you can do anything you want. And Yes, I know, those of you cringing about all the ethical violations, I was too. Um, but what's the harm in that if she's feeling better about herself for those few minutes where he is stroking her ego? Well, so you go to the bathroom and your toilet is overflowing. It's gross. You got sewage on the floor and nobody likes sewage on the floor. That's disgusting. So you go to the store to buy the parts to fix it. You get back and you fix the sink. The sink's so pretty. It's nice. It's white. It's shiny. You even clean it up a little bit so that it looks like it's almost brand new. Well, the toilet's still over here flowing raw sewage all over the floor. You're still walking around in it even though you're looking at a really pretty pretty sink. So that is the harm of it. Fixing the sink doesn't stop the toilet from overflowing and spreading raw sewage all over your life. Now, I have the ability to see past the bowl. People think that all therapists have that ability. Eh, no, you're, we're not trained to do it. And Unless it's an innate ability, you don't know whether you're doing it or not. Uh, 
I have gone to many interviews, and uh, especially with teenagers, and they say, why should we hire you? And I say, well, I have this very weird connection with teenagers. Teenagers love me. And they're like, oh yeah, the teenagers love all of us too. I'm like, mm, no, that's not what I'm saying because I'm not friends with them. No teenager will tell you that I'm cool. In fact, I purposely am a dork so that they know I'm not cool and they do not buddy up with me. But the thing about it is I see past their bull and they can't get their lies and their manipulations past me. And they like that because they want help. They want to get better. They want to fix the toilet, even though they're screaming that they don't. Deep inside, they really, really do. So when they find somebody that sees them for who they really are and sees what they're honestly struggling with and isn't afraid to say something about it, they really love that person. I'm also really good at teenage speak. So I have these parents uh, that will come in after my sessions and they'll say, so did you get anywhere? I'm like, yeah, we had a great conversation. How? Because I know what the uh, uh, huh. Nah. means. <laughs> I'm just really good at teenage speak. So it's a matter of paying attention and being able to see past the facade. So I have several methods that I use for this. One is the backdoor approach and the other one is the me approach. If I start talking about something with me, and they're listening and they're going along with it. And all of a sudden I say, and I learned this lesson from it. They're like, Ugh, dang it, Mandy. Because I just told them exactly what I am seeing their problem is. And I told them how I know how to get through it. And they don't like that because they want to be all mysterious and nobody can figure me out. Except they do like that because they want to get help. So that is the first part of why that matters, that we need to be able to fix the right issue instead of pretending that making somebody feel good or stroking their ego has any sticking results because it doesn't. Now, the other thing about it is that they know that I don't pull any punches. And I don't do that with any of my clients. If they say something stupid, I will tell them. If they say something good, I will tell them. If they say something that's going to ruin their lives, I will tell them. I will tell them. I have no problems telling them. I have told many, many clients, no, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Why do you think that's going to work? The other thing I will tell clients is if you've tried that a billion times and it hasn't worked, why do you think the billion and one is going to make the difference? <gasps> uh-huh. I will say that. If what you're doing is getting you the same results it's always gotten you, I'm not going to make you feel good about making that decision over and over and over and over and over and over again. I am going to tell you it's dumb. I'm not going to tell you you're dumb. You're not dumb. I've only encountered a couple of actually really honest to goodness dumb people. And they're not in therapy because they're too dumb to know they need it. But most people just don't know how to do it the right way. 
Like I said at the beginning, it's like going into your doctor and telling your doctor what's wrong with you and what you need to fix it. If you already knew that, you wouldn't go into the doctor. So we need to change how we see therapists and how we think about therapy. Therapists need to be helpful, not just parrot back gibberish and nonsense. Therapists can be experts in things without having to have that inspire them to become a therapist. Therapists need to be able to think creatively and flexibly and not stick with just what the book says because the book isn't always right or complete. It isn't the expert. You, through your experience, through your training, through your talents, that is how we become experts. Not through thinking we can just help somebody else figure out how to fix themselves. No. And we need to get rid of the mess of bureaucracy. I told you that I live in the suicide belt and our governor knows that. And so he has set up several suicide task forces to figure out what the problem is. Uh, It has not decreased the suicide rate in our lovely state yet. And there have been like five different suicide task forces. What he does and what they have done is they just go and they get different people and say it's going to be different this time. And they talk about the exact same thing and how to fix it the exact same way instead of looking at what the real problem is. You're never going to fix the toilet by looking at fixing the sink. You just aren't. So I hope that you are understanding why I feel it is so important to get my methods out there and to get my message out there. And I hope that you will join me to learn how to become the healthiest person that you can become. You deserve it and you need it. It helps you live a better life. It helps you help the people around you live a better life. So I really hope that you will join me on this journey of common sense therapy.